Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, amen. Hey, I heard that song just this week. It's, it's a, a remake of When We All Get to Heaven sung by Matt Redman. And when I heard it, it moved me. And, and I would encourage you that we're, that's going to be our theme song as we continue through this journey through a destination worth investigation, what the Bible says about heaven. And so when you, when you listen to that song, man, it, it reminds you that everything bad that we know, one day Jesus will make right. And we will spend an eternity as believers in Jesus apart from anything negative, anything bad or anything hurtful. And man, that should encourage you as a believer. And if you're uncertain about that, it should encourage you to find certainty about where you are. We're going to be looking at John chapter 14 again today, week two of a destination worth investigation. Now, as you find that in your Bible or on your device, uh, in 1982, there was a release of a country music song by Hank Williams Jr. It goes like this. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I'd just soon stay home. I was one of the chosen few to be born in Alabama. I'm just like my daddy's son. I'm proud of who I am. I went through a lot of good women. I shook old Jim Beam's hand. If I never see the pearly gates, I've walked through the promised land. Chorus says, if, I, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I'd just soon stay home. If they don't have a Grand Ole Opry like they do in Tennessee, just send me to hell or New York City. It'd be the same to me. I've got news for Hank Williams Jr. and anybody who's ever celebrated that song. Heaven ain't nothing like Dixie. And heaven ain't going to have an Opry. And heaven ain't going to have a new, uh, new York City. I know it ain't like Dixie. We lived in Alabama for several years. And uh, heaven ain't like it because it's hotter than that. It's more like hell there than it is here, okay? And when I die, do not send me to Alabama, all right? You just put me in a grave right here because my spirit has gone on to something much, much better. Now, when we think about that, songs like that, we have a distorted view often of some place we're going to spend eternity. Now, here's the beauty of eternity. Uh, there's several ways to illustrate it. Once a preacher put a pen, a marker on a board, he put it to the board and made a dot. And then he continued just to draw lines while he was talking. And he drew and drew and drew and drew. And then he said this. He said, here's a picture of eternity. The dot where I put the pen to the, to the board, that's this life. The line that I continue to draw that goes on forever, that's eternity. And yet often what we do is we focus more on the dot than we do the eternal line. And so I want to encourage us to be excited. I believe Jesus has told us everything we need to know about heaven to encourage our hearts and to encourage us in dark times here on this earth. So the things that we think about that we just don't like, uh, sickness and death and sadness and brokenness and pain, uh, whatever flavor that might be in your life, they're all going to come to an end one day. And, and, and Satan cannot steal heaven from you, but he can steal your excitement and your enthusiasm about living not for this life, but for the other life. You see, the devil knows that if he can get you to focus on this world enough, you won't be too kingdom-minded, and therefore you won't be too uh, kingdom-effective. 
You won't help people find their way out of this world into a better world. Why? Why does Satan hate you? Why does Satan hate heaven? Because Satan uh, hates you because you've been ransomed from his forever kingdom. Satan hates heaven because you are, an, uh, are inheriting the home that he was evicted from. So he has good reasons to hate you and the kingdom. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, it says, I desire to depart and be with Christ because it is better by far. You see, sometimes we have a, a false idea or a distorted idea of heaven when heaven is far, far, far better than anything this world has to offer. Hebrews 11, talking about the patriarchs of the Old Testament. It says, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared a city for them. It's, it's good to know. And, and often we forget to ponder on it. So I want us to have a fresh perspective. I, I want us to have a biblical perspective of what heaven's going to be. Because if you are a believer, you will spend an absolute eternity there. And I think when we only uncover and discover what God has said about heaven, it will be enough to encourage you and get you excited. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, we're instructed not to just focus on this world. It says, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So last week, we talked about heaven is a big deal. We talked about heaven being threefold. The air we breathe, the real estate of the stars, and God's dwelling place. There's three heavens biblically referred to as the three heavens. We we talked about the fact that one day they will merge, they will collide. The heaven, which is God's dwelling place, will unite with the air we breathe. It will push through the, 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 the real estate of the stars. And, and so we learned that the new city, the capital city of heaven, is going to be 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. It's a cube. A mathematician has told us that over 20 billion people could reside in that city alone. 20 billion. And yet it's connected. It's going to be connected to the earth when it returns. And that's in Revelation 20 and 21. So, so we need to recapture a grander view of what God is building for you. There's a lot of people in the world, theologians and otherwise, who would want to convince you that heaven is a state of mind. It's something you, that you just, it's a, it's a mental thing. But the Bible never ever points to heaven being a state of mind. Heaven is a very real place. Why is it so hard to wrap your arms around heaven being a real place? because it's abstract. It's not tangible. And we don't do good with that. We don't do good believing in something that we can't feel, that we can't manipulate, that we can't see with our physical eyes. And so it's a foreign idea. 
But God has told us everything we need to know. Now, think about it. When you think about heaven over the last years of your life, sometimes because of pictures, sometimes because of images, sometimes because of conversations, you get this idea that one day you're going to spend eternity in a chubby little body with a halo and some wings playing a harp. And it's going to be like an eternal church service singing hymns. And quite honestly, if that's what it is, I might join the ranks of Hank Williams Jr. Because I don't want that for an eternity. But listen, it is not that. In fact, you will never be a chubby little angel. You may be a chubby little guy now, but you will never be a chubby little angel with wings. Human beings are created as human beings. Angelic beings are created as angelic beings. Your Aunt Lulu is not an angel in heaven looking over you now. I hate to pop your bubble. If your Aunt Lulu went to heaven, she is a saint in heaven, not an angel. And an angel will never be a saint. So we've got to unpack some of this stuff. Not only that, we feel like that maybe we'll be this disembodied spiritual figure floating around on a cloud. That doesn't sound like fun for eternity. That doesn't sound amazing. That just sounds strange. And that's why we're, we're afraid about embracing a great heaven. Well, I got good news. None of, that's, none of that is accurate. None of that is biblically true. That is not what eternity in heaven looks like. It is, as the scripture says, so much more. And we have every reason to pursue the kind of heaven that Jesus is creating for us. So maybe you're here and you struggle embracing things you can't see. Think ideas that you've never considered before. It's normal. It's human nature. The earth was flat. Did you know that? The earth was flat until brighter minds came along like Pythagoras, Aristotle, and Isaac Newton who said, hey, this thing ain't flat. It's round. And it was a strange concept, an idea that nobody wanted to believe. The development of, of, of life in the womb seemed like life didn't exist until the baby was born, until advanced ultrasound. And you begin to see the development of the baby and you realize, man, that baby has life at conception. Only a few weeks into, after conception does it begin to have a heartbeat. But it was a foreign idea until somebody put something tangible into an idea that was untouchable. What about this one? Air travel. Now we take it for granted. Well, we took it for granted before COVID, but we take it for granted. We jump on a flight, we, we fly around the world. Men jump in a space shuttle and shoot off into outer space and dwell there for weeks and months. But before 1905, it was such an intangible, foreign idea, nobody thought it was possible unless you were a bird. But along came two goofy brothers, Wilbur and Orville Wright, and their plane took off and flew, and all of a sudden, hey, air travel is real. What about this one? Cellular technology. Now our children and grandchildren think that Jesus called his disciples on a cell phone. He just sent them a text, hey boys, we're meeting at the mountain. 
hey boys, come on over for some fish. No, that I didn't have that growing up and I was privileged, okay? You didn't have that growing up as adults. That technology came around in the 80s, in the 1980s, less than 40 years ago. And yet today, smartphones, something that 40 years ago when I was a child was, was, was ridiculous to consider that you would carry a computer in your pocket that you could talk to somebody looking at their face on the other side of the planet was absurd. And yet today, four and a half billion smartphones are activated worldwide. That's 60% of our world population uses and utilizes technology that less than, really less than 15 years ago was thought to be a realistic idea. So God has told us more about heaven than anybody could have told us about ultrasound, about the world being round, about uh, cellular technology. Our word, the word of a living God, has given us more information so we can know more about heaven. And it becomes tangible when we simply unpack and digest what it is He has told us. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. This is a, a great verse. It's a little bit scary, but it's a great verse. It says this, For since the creation of the world, His, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and His Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You got no excuse. The lost world has no excuse. The, athe the atheist of the world, the ones who deny God's existence, they have no excuse. They can simply look around and God has revealed who He is. So we need to be careful not to miss the clues that God has placed right before our eyes. We can simply look around and see six days of God's DIY project and it should rattle our cage and stir our mind because that's how big God is. And yet for 2,000 years now, He has been creating a heaven. So to imagine the greatness of heaven, 2,000 years in construction, just look around. You've been to the zoo. You've seen the animal kingdom. It's quite amazing. If anybody in here ever snorkeled, raise your hand. If you've been somewhere and you snorkeled, you see underwater life and you're like, this just happened? There must be a creative God who his creativity is far beyond anything we can imagine. Several years ago, we were on a vacation and we went snorkeling. And I wanted to go out where the, where the, the reef was and check it out. So I got a little, a little man purse, one of those little uh, things here, had dog bones in it. Swam out there where they told me to go. They said, now when you get out there, crumble the dog bones and the fish will swim right to you. So I get out there and I'm crumbling the dog bone. And the little fish, black and white, green and blue and yellow, they are precious in his sight. Every color under the rainbow, swimming around. And I'm amazed, literally amazed, until I accidentally dropped the dog bone. All of a sudden, I was bombarded by tens of thousands of fish. They were like piranhas. They weren't eating me, but they could in my mind. And so I'm, I'm getting out of there, and I, I still had a dog bone left, but I'm over the snorkel tour. So I get back to the beach, to the shore. My son-in-law, Max, 
If you've seen Max, he's a muscle head, all right? Is Max out here right now? Has he got the kids? Right there he is. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's got his tank top on because sun's out, gun's out, okay? So I, get, I see Max standing on the shore. I said, hey, Max, you want to see some cool fish? He said, yeah. I said, you take this little purse with the dog bone. You swim out to that buoy. And when you get out there, all you have to do is take that dog bone and just throw it out in the water. And I'm watching. He's swimming. He's swimming. He's swimming. He pauses. He drops the dog bone. And then, ah! he's going back. I, I, what happened, man? I, I don't know. I set him up. He knows. He won't go snorkeling again either. Now, the point of that is this. God has given us his, this creation, the physical creation, to point. Scripture says to point to his invisible attributes. So the most magnificent thing you can see in this world, the most beautiful, um, alluring thing in this world, it just points to the attributes of God. So he's far greater and heaven will be far greater than anything you or I can possibly imagine. Now, there's some people who they don't want me to talk about heaven, just like they didn't want me to preach through Revelation, because they buy into this silly idea that there's some things that we're just not supposed to talk about in church, because it's outside the realm of our understanding. They sometimes will quote Deuteronomy chapter 29. Now, verse 29a sounds like they have a leg to stand on. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Sounds firm enough of a foundation not to talk about heaven, but they fail to read part B of the same verse. It says, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. <clears throat> Scripture goes on to say, listen, the things that God has prepared for His children, He tells them. He won't tell you everything there is, is to know. He'll tell you everything you need to know. So heaven is a real place. Tell the person sitting with, beside you or six feet down, hey, heaven is a real place. Or in the Baldwin's case, y'all must have forgot your deodorant. You ain't got nobody within 15 feet. Okay? Somebody show them some love. Look at them and tell them heaven's real. I'll tell you. All right? Now, back to John chapter 14. All right? John chapter 14 Verse 1, we read it last week and the week before. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. So I go to prepare a, what's your Bible say? Place for you. And if I go to prepare a, what's your word say? place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Now you've got to agree this sounds like a real man talking to real people standing in a real place talking about going to a real place to prepare a real place for some real people. You cannot argue with that. There's nothing state of mindish about it. God, Jesus would not have to go and prepare a state of mind. He could think a state of mind for you, but he's preparing a place for you. Now, so, so this is what he tells his disciples. I'm going 
to prepare a place for you. And he says, if I go, I'm going to come back and get you. And I'm going to take you to the place that I've been preparing. It's a real place. Forty-three days later, in Scripture, we land in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Forty-three days have passed. Jesus has been crucified. Three days later, Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus has spent 40 days walking among men in His glorified state, revealing truth and commissioning His followers. And we land in Acts chapter 1. Now Jesus says this in verse 9. Now when He had spoken these things while they watched, Jesus was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. Now, three times He says, heaven. Why? He's talking about a place. He says, I'm going. The angels say, He's going to a place. And one day He's going to take you to a place. Tell your neighbor, heaven is a real place. Now, here are men, real men, standing in a real place, the Mount of Olives. Jesus speaking with a real mouth, speaking to His disciples, watching with real eyes, listening with real ears, and Jesus floats away on a cloud. Now that one's out there. You gotta admit, of all the ways that Jesus left this earth, this one is really kinda hard to reach and grab onto. That He rises, He ascends from the earth, and a cloud catches Him and evacuates Him from this planet. I mean, that one seems a little odd. But that's the way God does things. The way you think it ought to be is not the way God often makes it to be. And so Jesus leaves this place to go to another place. And He's preparing that place for you. I want to make a point of something. Jesus said in John chapter 14, He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Tell the person next to you, He's talking about you. Isn't that good to know? All of us live in a different home. Outside of our family, Kendra and I live in a home. And if you drive over to our home, our yard looks like me. It's got my personality in the yard. We have a swimming pool in the backyard that I built. It's got a personality like me. If you go inside, it's got Kendra's personality, okay? Uh, the paint colors the stone, the wood, the, the sofa, the kitchen, which I've been instructed quite firmly, this is my domain right here, okay? It's prepared for her. When, when I built the house, I drew the house. I said, tell me what you want. How big do you want the kitchen to be? And, and it was like a half acre. I said, okay, we gotta downsize the kitchen, okay? And, and so she told me what each room she wanted it to look like. And so I put them all together as a puzzle 
and built the house, built the place for her. Is that true, Kendra? And she loves her house, don't you, Kendra? You better say yeah, okay? I'll put somebody else up in that thing. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing, all right? It's prepared for her and it's prepared for me. And I can come to your house and your house looks like you. It has you written on it, okay? And it's prepared for you. Now, there's nothing different about God, the way God's going to do it. He's preparing a place for you. He knows you. He knit you together while you were yet in your mother's womb. He's preparing an eternal place that has your DNA like written in the, in the design. It's good to know that it's not a general commune that we're going to hang out in for eternity. He's making a place with our name on it. Now, what is another reason that heaven has to be a real place? because God created real physical beings. And He created a real physical place. I wrote it like this. God created a physical place occupying a physical space, which would be the home for the human race. Physical people living on a physical planet. But now wait a minute, Brother Joel, when you die, the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Uh, so that means when we die, if I die right now in a minute from a heat stroke, okay, uh, my body is going to fall down on this stage, okay, all 235 pounds of muscle. It's going to fall on this stage. My spirit is evacuating this stage. My spirit leaves immediately to join in the presence with Jesus, my King and Savior, immediately. Do I have a physical body there? Not that I know of, but I have a spiritual, a real spiritual existence in a real place. But it doesn't stop there. You see, one day, my body, the dead body, it doesn't matter if they, I told Kendra to cremate me, okay? I, I, I just, you know, and, and you may be against that, and that's okay, just don't come talk to me, okay? You don't have to cremate you. Kendra knows to cremate me. If she don't, I'm gonna come back and haunt her, okay? But however long our body decomposes, whether we're cremated or lost at sea or blown up in a military battle, Jesus knows our atomic structure. And one day the Bible says when he comes back, we get a glorified body. Now I want to talk, before I, un, before I discuss how that happens and the timeline of that, I want to help you understand how we can believe in a glorified, resurrected, new, brand new body, which I'm very excited about. I, I got a, this body's broken down, my legs hurt, my back hurts, my neck hurts, okay? It, it, I just hurt, okay? Because I've, 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 I've pushed myself too hard, I guess, I don't know. But I got a brand new one on order. It just hadn't shipped yet, all right? But one day, I get a new one. Now listen why I believe and why you can believe in a brand new glorified body. Jesus revealed His glorified body. He did it at the mountain of transfiguration, but He did it on a more permanent note after He was resurrected. The tomb, the grave is empty. Jesus shows up to Mary. Mary is confused. She thinks He's the gardener. Then he revealed himself, his new glorified state, 
to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Then Jesus walked into the upper room, which I think is a cool passage. The door is locked. Jesus walked through the wall. He's not bound by physical, atomic, molecular structure. Okay? And yet when he gets in there, he has a physical body. Because he tells Thomas and the disciples, here, come and touch the wounds. Touch the wound on my side. I want you to know I'm real. Come and touch your Savior. Later, Jesus ate fish and honeycomb. He has a physical body, but it's outside what we understand. It's a body that can defy gravity. A body that can fly. A body that can go through walls. Yet a body that can eat and drink with friends. I just think that's cool. We've got hawks around here. And yesterday, well, on a regular basis, they soar right here in this valley. I don't care to tell you. I, I'm amazed by that. Some days I kind of wish I was a hawk. I just think that's cool. That, I mean, he doesn't, he's not flapping his wings. He's just hanging out. And he's just floating around. I believe, listen to me, your preacher is silly enough to believe that if Jesus can ascend on a cloud, my glorified state will allow me to fly. If it's good enough for Jesus, I think it's good enough for us. Also, when we consider the fact that the new heavenly kingdom, which unites with the new earth, is 1,400 miles tall, how are we going to get up there? Elevator? If you're on top floor with a view, you taking the elevator? I don't think so. I think we fly to the floor that we, that we find our residence. Now, I can't show you this in Scripture other than Jesus demonstrated what a glorified presence really looks like. So, now that we're on the same page about that, I want you to know who your pastor is regarding end-time events. I am a premillennial. A premillennial. Uh, what I mean by that is this. I believe that the church, the saints of God, will not go through the seven years of tribulation. I believe the church will be removed from that. We learned that, heard that when we went through the book of Revelation. I believe that the church is raptured, the catching away, according to First and Second Thessalonians. So I believe, because sometimes people say, you know, they're going to make you get a, a COVID vaccination and it's going to leave a mark in your hand. And ultimately to buy groceries, you have to scan your hand at the supermarket. And if you and if the mark of the vaccination does not show up in the light, you can't buy groceries. That sounds like some end time stuff. You know that's true. But I don't believe the church is going to go through that. Why? Because the tribulation is going to be the worst experience short of the very end of time this earth has ever experienced. And I just don't see God taking His bride, the saints, and giving them a good old-fashioned whipping before they enter the wedding. I mean, men, the night before you married your spouse, did you give her a good beating just to let her know who's in charge? If you did, let us know. We're going to give you a beating. No, you wouldn't do that, and you wouldn't expect Jesus, the groom of the church. You wouldn't expect Jesus to do that either. So I believe the church is going to be removed. Seven years of tribulation will take place. And then I believe at the end of seven years, we have our glorified bodies. Because when the catching away, when the rapture takes place, the Bible says that the bodies of those who have already died are resurrected. 
and they get to leave first. And they're reunited with their spirit and then all of us go back to heaven. And we stay there for seven years. But then the Bible says, Jesus returns to rule and reign for 1,000 years. And those of us who are saints that have gone, picked up our glorified body, and now return, we rule and reign with Jesus on this earth for a thousand years. Now, it's not a perfect world yet. It's a modified world because Jesus is sitting on the throne. But at the end of the thousand years, at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released and the battle of Armageddon takes place. And once and for all, the devil and his demons and those who never received Jesus and the mark of the Holy Spirit will be cast away into eternal fire and damnation. But now listen, it says that Jesus will will burn up the earth as we know it and the heaven as it now exists. And He will recreate a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. Now I'm telling you, this is cool. This is so, the, so the city that we talked about, that He's been preparing, the 1,400 mile cube, the Bible says God comes down to this earth. Now, in Revelation chapter 21, verses one through four, I want you to hear this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. When, when God makes the new earth, the ocean is not required. That's a big deal. 71% of the surface of our globe is covered in ocean. And yet in the new earth, there's no ocean. It goes on in verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And that's where he tells us it's 1,400 miles cubed, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be there. God. He makes a brand new heaven. He makes a brand new earth. He merges these things together and He hangs out with us for eternity. That's what it looks like. Verse 4, this is what it sounds like. He will wipe every tear from their eye. Sometimes we talk as if there's no more tears in heaven now. <clears throat> I don't necessarily believe that's true. I believe there's no more tears when He wipes away all the tears right here when it's all made new. He says, there's no more tears. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. You see, he's making everything about it new. Then we read in verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Heaven 
is a new, brand new place. And it is a place. It is a real place. And it is a real forever place. Heaven is a destination worthy of investigation. If you're going on a trip next year, you start planning probably this year. You start considering where it is you're going, the choice of destinations. You start considering accommodations, where you're gonna lay your head down at night. You start considering sights to see and things to do. You make preparations and you consider and you begin to get excited. When a vacation comes around, does anybody ever get excited? You remember when you're a kid and you're going to Disney World? Man, you get excited. We still get excited about vacations, all right? Heaven is such a place we should be so excited that we want to know all about it. Well, that lands right here. If heaven is such a good place and hell is such a bad place, we need to be real sure that we have a reservation in the good place. You see, you're born with a standing reservation in a bad place. It takes an act of grace coming from Jesus our Savior. And it takes an act of obedience, a willingness to choose to receive His grace gift to make our reservation in heaven rather than in hell. Life is short. It's just short. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 says, All people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All this is the word that was preached to you. <laughs> One country preacher said, Life is like grass. It's sown, grown, mown, blown, and then it's gone. Now, it's said more eloquently by the psalmist in Psalm chapter 39. It says, O oh Lord, help me understand my mortality and the brevity of my life. Let me realize just how quickly my life will pass. Look, you make my days short-lived, and my lifespan is nothing from your perspective. Surely, all people, even those who seem secure, are nothing but vapor. Man, he said that 3,000 years ago. And you know how true it is? How true is it that life is brief? How true is it that death is imminent and real? Statistically, there's over 7 billion people on this globe floating through space right now. Three people will die every three seconds. One, two, there goes six. That's what it looks like. 180 people per minute. 15,000 have left this earth during this service. 250,000 today will leave this earth and spend eternity somewhere. It's important that we make our reservation in the right place. Join me as we pray. Father, we come to you, we thank you so much that we don't have to spend eternity separated from you at all. 
In fact, we can experience your presence even on this very day. God, we thank you that you've made provision even in our sinfulness, even in our rebellion, even in our rejection of truth, you've made a way. And that way is Jesus, your son. Father, we thank you for his gift to us. God, I pray for every individual, every man, woman, boy, and girl, that they have come to a place where they have certainty, where they have confirmation, where they know that they know that if this is our last day, we've made our reservation in heaven through Jesus, your son. And maybe you're here today and you've never done that. And I know it's hot, but I think it's a good day to hear this truth because the heat that you feel is nothing compared to the heat that hell has in store for those outside of Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're just not sure if you died today, if you'd go to heaven. If that's you right here in the heat of this sunny day, would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm just not sure. I want to believe it, but I'm just not certain. Well, if that's you, you can pray this prayer. God, I believe that Jesus is my way out. I believe Jesus came and died in my place to forgive my sin. I want Jesus to save me. I give all of me to all of you from this day forward. Save me, seal me, and make me a forever reservation in this destination worth investigation called heaven. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I thank you all for coming out in this heat with me today. I'm very proud of you. Very proud. And I hope that a memory was created that you'll never forget. It's hard to forget. But we're going to sing a song. And I want this to burn and etch in your heart that this is the beginning. This is not the end. And moving forward, we got to get ourselves ready to be a brand new body, to move into this brand new building in the spring of 2021. After the song is over, amen, you'll be released. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Next week, we have a nine o'clock drive-in, a 10.30 inside service. If you want to be a part of that, you better come early because it's going to fill up quick. And we'll probably do a 7.30 drive-in next Sunday night. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.